happening here. And uh, I praise God for that. And uh, Pastor Chris has been um, a, a, a good friend of mine since we first got here in 2013. Um, you know, at that time, he was uh, the only pastor on staff here. I'm the only pastor on staff at our church, and, and we could get together and encourage each other a lot and, and uh, grew together a lot through that. And I've got to know Jim and Ryan and uh, just say that you guys are, are blessed here. Uh, you have a lot to be thankful to God for. And, uh, um, and Brian, when, when you were about to introduce me, I, I, well, I thought you were standing up to introduce me, and you said, today uh, we have a 350-pound pig. Um, <laughs> So maybe, but then I realized, no, he introduced me earlier in the service, so sorry about that. Well, we just read uh, what Brian just read for us out of John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47, is Jesus calling witnesses to himself. Uh, I've been preaching at our church at First Baptist of Madeline. I've been preaching through the book of Matthew for the last couple of years, and we're about to be done with it. And people keep asking me, what are you going to do next? And I say, I've got to figure that out pretty quick. Uh, but we just got to the point in the book of Matthew where we saw our Lord Jesus crucified. And uh, what, what an incredible thing that is just to meditate on the actual events that happened. That this is not an abstract concept of, of some, some sort of a philosophy uh, floating around out there. But this is an actual in-the-flesh Savior, God and man, Jesus, who actually was nailed to a cross and died for us in our place for our sins. And one of the things that Jesus did as he was on his way to the cross is, is he was put on trial twice, once before the, the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, and then once again in front of Pilate and Herod. And in both of those trials, there was a period during the trial where, where witnesses were called forward against Jesus, these pseudo-witnesses, these false witnesses who were trying to come up with all kinds of accusations and excuses for this man, Jesus, to be killed, even though he was the only innocent man who ever lived by all measures. And in those witnesses, they kept bringing charge after charge and slander after slander. And they looked at Jesus and they said, have you no answer to these charges? And you know what he did? He kept his mouth shut. And, and those who were, who were there looking on, they wondered at him. They were in amazement as though this was a supernatural thing. How can this man in the face of all of these charges keep his mouth shut. And he was fulfilling what it said in Isaiah 53, that he was like a sheep to the slaughter who opened not his mouth. But one of the things that also made it possible for Jesus to keep his mouth shut when he was on trial is that so many others had already borne witness to him. Jesus did not have to bear witness to himself. He did not have to speak up to prove that he was the Christ and that all of the charges against him were false, although he, he was willing to say in that moment, it is as you have said, I am a king, I am the Christ, the Son of God. You will see me coming on the clouds of heaven from now on. He did say that, but he didn't have to back it up because it had been backed up. And that's what we'll see today, is that Jesus, even as the world watching him wanted to put him on trial, and ultimately did put him on trial, and ultimately found him guilty and executed him, he would be raised from the dead, and he will come again in power. And as, as Paul wrote, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That, that one day Jesus will stand, and he will gather the peoples of all nations in front of himself, and he will divide them as the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right the goats on his left. 
Jesus is the judge. And yet, human beings who considered themselves to be on the side of God came against Jesus and put him under judgment, felt that he was the one who needed to be judged. That's the, the context that we come to here in this passage in John 5, is that Jesus has done a miracle, and he has done this miracle of, of healing, and he's happened to do it on the Sabbath day, which was a day that according to the Pharisees' laws, not according to God's laws, but according to the Pharisees' laws, this was not acceptable to heal on the Sabbath day. And so they accused him of breaking the Sabbath, but in response to that accusation, he had said, my father is working until now, and I am working. And it had said in John 5, verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself God, making himself, or calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the reason Jesus was killed, is because he made himself equal with God the Father, claimed to be God. That's the whole reason behind it. But they would come to him and begin to examine him and to say, how can we tear apart the identity that this man claims for himself? Jesus' response is to begin preaching. And when Jesus preaches in John 5, he begins to talk about his own authority, that the authority that he possesses as the Son is an authority that he has been sent to take, that he has been granted by the Father. He says, all judgment has been granted to the Son, and also that the ability to give life has been given to the Son, so that the one who is the judge of all nations is also the one who can give life to any of all nations. So that, so that whoever would look upon him and, and believe in his word does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is what he has just taught. And now Jesus is establishing that he does not have to back himself up on this because there is so much else that already has. He is putting us in the courtroom as those who wanted to put him on trial, wanted to put him in the courtroom, he is turning around. He is putting the world in the courtroom. And in particular, he is putting the religious world in the courtroom. He is putting these devout Jews who absolutely rejected him, even though he came as the savior of the Jews first, he, they, they, he is turning around and he is putting them on trial and he begins now to call some witnesses. So what this is, these particular things that Jesus brings out as witnesses, these, these are things especially for those who are religious to pay attention to. So if you would consider yourself religious, and I don't mean that in terms of trusting in religion to save you, although maybe that is where you are. But if you consider yourself to be a devout person, then especially perk up your ears about this. Because Jesus is going to bring up all sorts of aspects of religion and the religion that those in Jesus' day held firm to and say, yes, each of these things that you were holding to is a good thing, but you don't realize that it is a witness to me, the Son of God. All of those things are witnesses to me and not an end in themselves. Religion is not about religion. Religion is not about showing off to show that you're religious. Religion is not ultimately about being good. Religion, as far as God has established it, is for the purpose of pointing to a person. And his name is Jesus. And so Jesus is calling these witnesses. You may know somebody who has a house full of Coca-Cola items. Anybody in here like that? You got some Coke stuff. All right, that's good. Um, 
when, when you see that Coca-Cola paraphernalia, some of the stuff, you know, you go on eBay and depending on what it is, it can run up really, really high. Can you imagine somebody who filled their house with Coca-Cola stuff and didn't like Coca-Cola? Or can you imagine somebody who is like me, who will occasionally be seen wearing a Mets t-shirt, has a Mets sticker that my kids gave me that I have stuck on the back of my laptop so that everybody who sees me using my computer can tell I like the Mets. And yet, if you ask me what's going on with the Mets, I have no idea right now. That's embarrassing, isn't it? I am a terrible Mets fan. But my kids give me lots of Mets stuff, and I wear it. Or maybe you have a closet full of running shoes, and you don't run. Well, what if you have all sorts of religious stuff filling up your life, and yet you don't know Jesus? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is calling all of these witnesses to show it's not just about religion. All of those things that are good things in themselves are supposed to point you to the person of Jesus Christ. So the way he sets this up, he sets up his courtroom scene. He says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's establishing that he is the judge because God the Father, the judge of all, has granted him judgment, and he is going to judge as God the Father has told him, and how exactly all of those interconnected relationships within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work is so deep, and I hope that you will go deeper on that than I'm able to go right now. But he is saying that he, as God the Son, has received the right judgment from God the Father, and he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true or is not trustworthy, which doesn't mean that Jesus would be lying if he were the only one who said that he is the Christ. It just means it's normal that there would be something else besides just someone saying something about themselves to back up the truth. And so he's going to call witnesses here. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. Ultimately, he is talking about God the Father. God the Father bears witness to Jesus, and he'll make that explicit in just a moment. But the first witness he's going to call forward is a man whose name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, for those of you who may not be familiar with, uh, with, with the contents of, of the Bible and how the coming of Jesus came about, John the Baptist was a prophet that God sent. And there hadn't been any prophets in Israel for about 400 years. There had been this, this period of silence between the time when the last prophet of the Old Testament spoke and, and then when, when John the Baptist was sent. And so when John the Baptist came, and John the Baptist was doing bizarre things like wearing sackcloth and eating locusts and going out in the wilderness and doing something that I don't think anybody had ever seen someone do before, which is taking another person and plunging them under water and saying, this has to do with the, the, the repentance of sins. You need to do this in preparation for the coming of the kingdom of, of God. It's at hand. You need me to dunk you. Weird stuff. But the way that he spoke, he got a lot of attention. And there was a lot of attention stirred up that maybe this man, maybe John, is going to be the Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about. Well, John made clear, no, I am not. 
He made clear that he was speaking of somebody else who was to come, someone whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. And yet, a lot of people who liked John the Baptist did not like Jesus. You may remember, those of you who, who have read and paid attention to your Bibles before, that there was a time when some of the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, actually went out to John the Baptist to be baptized. And not because they believed what he was saying, but just, I guess, because it would have made them, made them appear holy. It was the holy thing to do at the time. And yet John the Baptist looked at them and said, you brood of vipers bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because ultimately what they were out there for was the glory of man. And that's what Jesus is about to say. He said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So there were a lot of John the Baptist fans standing around Jesus at this point. And he is saying to them, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. What he's saying is, here is one who bears witness to me, this preacher that you really like, whose name was John the Baptist. What he is saying to these religious people is, okay, you love that John is a prophet. You love that John came after 400 years of silence. You love that John was preaching beautiful, convicting messages, that he was preaching the very word of God. And yet you haven't seen that John was bearing witness to me, the person of Jesus. I wonder if sometimes that happens. I wonder if there may even be somebody here who's done the same thing with a preacher of our era. It is not enough before God to say that you really, really liked Billy Graham's preaching. It's not enough to say, I love John Piper. I love John MacArthur. Paul Washer was amazing. I love Chris Durkin's preaching. Do you know who all of those men preach? They preach Christ. You can't come before God on the day of judgment and say, I loved my pastor's sermons and that's why you should let me into heaven. I felt conviction of sin. They hit me in the gut really hard. And God would look to you and say, well, then why did you not repent and turn to Christ who he was preaching? So the, the witness of John the Baptist shows us that it's, it's not enough. You can't just say to God, I loved Alistair Begg's podcast. But all of this, the reason Jesus is saying this is not because he needs human beings to back him up. He, he, says, he actually says straightforwardly, not that the testimony I receive is from man. He doesn't need men. He doesn't need us. And yet he says, I am saying this so that you may be saved. He's saying, yes, I hope that you will like John the Baptist and his preaching, but for the purpose that you would be saved by faith in me, in Jesus. Second witness that Jesus calls are his own works. So if you look in verse 36, he says this, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus has a better witness than John, a better witness than any preacher you've ever heard. That's what he says. 
and that witnesses his own works. You see, Jesus, when he came, he, he didn't simply come preaching, but he also came doing miracles. Now, his preaching would have been enough all by itself. And in fact, his preaching is enough all by itself. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Miracles are not the power of God unto salvation. But the miracles that Jesus did are an even greater testimony to Jesus' status as the Son of God and the Savior, the Messiah, than even the preachers who came and announced Jesus. Think about the kinds of works that Jesus did, these, these miraculous works. He, he was able to, uh, to speak to a person with a disease, and the disease would obey him by going away. He, he was able to speak to a demon possessing someone, and the demon would cower in fear and leave. He, he was able to speak to the sea that was raging and threatening to kill him and all of his disciples, and the sea and the wind obeyed him. He said, peace be still, and it obeyed, and it was calm. Jesus had the power over death, where he could, he could say to a little child who had died to come alive, and that child did. Jesus had all power. The works that he did bear witness to him. Even John the Baptist himself, who Jesus just mentioned, John, after a while, when Jesus wasn't doing the things that John expected the Messiah to do, he sent messengers to Jesus to ask, was I right about this? Are you actually the Christ? Because, you know, I assume he was asking that because he expected the Christ to, to, you know, build up an army and take over Jerusalem and build a new palace or something like that. And Jesus wasn't doing that. But here's what Jesus' response is in Matthew 11, 4 and 5. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. He's saying, look at my works. Yes, they are bearing witness that I am the Christ. But what is interesting here is that there are a lot of people who saw Jesus' miraculous works and even experienced and benefited from those miraculous works who still rejected Jesus. I want to say that again. There are a lot of people who received and saw and benefited from Jesus' miraculous works who rejected Jesus. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said so. Matthew 11, 21 and 22. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. I wonder if maybe there has been some experience in your life where you recognized clearly the work of God. Now, I have to say this. I, I believe in God's providence. The fact of where you decided to sit today and, and exactly how firm or soft the cushion underneath you is and the temperature in this room and, and everything that happened in this day leading up to right now and everything that's going to happen when you go home, every single bit of that is under the sovereignty and the active providence of God. And yet sometimes God works in such a way where he really gets our attention, where we see this is a work of God. Maybe it was something in your own life where you had cancer and it seemed like it wasn't possible for you to survive, and yet you did. And, and the prayers of this church or other saints came along and, and 
as a result and response of prayer that you got well and, and you praised God and you thanked God and that was the right thing to do, to praise and to thank God for what happened. But do you know why God does things like that? It's not ultimately for the purpose of just getting over cancer. It is to call you to repentance and to faith in Jesus. That's what it says in Romans chapter 2. It says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And, and so, so I, this is something that I run into when, when I'm talking to unbelievers just around the community, is, is there are an awful lot of people who would say, yes, I know that I am okay with God because, and then they will they'll tell about some hard situation that they had that God got them out of, and they could say, yes, I know that was God. So me and God, we're like this. And I have to tell them, I believe you. I absolutely affirm that God did that in your life, but here's the reason why he did it. It's not so that you could trust in that work that he did. That work that he did is bearing witness to his son, Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. Now, there was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus believed in Jesus' works. He, he came by night to Jesus. He was a Pharisee of, of the Jews. And he said to Jesus, uh, we know, I know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do the works that you are doing unless he is from God. And did Jesus say to him, you're good with God then? No, he said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And what did he say it means to be born again? What does that look like in a person's life? It says, it says that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who would look upon him and believe in him would have eternal life. He's saying, don't just come and say, yeah, Jesus, you've got great works. You must be a God-man. Come to Jesus and believe. Believe in Christ lifted up, crucified for our sins. The works that Jesus did are not an end in themselves. They're a witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ and the works that God has done in your life, as great as they are, or as great as you may hope that they will be in the future, those works are not an end in themselves. They are a call to you to believe in him who sent them and did them. Believe in Christ for your salvation. The third witness that Jesus calls is God the Father himself. So if you look in verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. That would have been a very offensive statement to the people around, the people listening, these religious people who claim to know God. He says, you don't know God. You've never heard from God. You've never seen God. You don't have your, his word abiding in you? Well, how does he know that? It's because here's Jesus, God in the flesh, sent by the Father, and they are rejecting him. They're rejecting him. This is just like later on when, when uh, Thomas, the disciple, would look at Jesus and say, Jesus, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus looked at him and said, Thomas, uh, have, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me? If, if, they, if they knew the Father, then they would know Jesus. There was uh, one, of my, one of my seminary professors, his name was Herschel York. And he told a story once about being at a conference where he was speaking. And he was 
uh, just kind of off in the hallways at this conference talking to people and he, he started talking to one gentleman and this gentleman started kind of, uh, kind of bragging to him, you know, name dropping about people that he knew and he was saying, well, I'm, I'm really close to this, this one speaker, this one author who's at this conference. And you know who that author's name was? Herschel York. It was the man he was speaking to. He was name dropping that man's name to that man. And, and if you would say, yes, I know God, and yet you don't know Jesus Christ, you're mistaken. The way that we know God is through his son, Jesus. What Jesus said about himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's how we know God the Father is through his son, Jesus Christ, and the Father has borne witness to him. He's borne witness to Jesus through everything leading up to that point that he's done. He's, he's borne witness to Jesus by sending all of the prophets, giving them all of the words of the Bible, which all point to Jesus, as he's about to say. He has, has done it through sending Jesus in the flesh, Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. And he has, has done it through direct, audible words. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father literally spoke and bore witness out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the Father has borne witness. One of the things to know is that any form of religion that does not embrace Jesus does not embrace God. If there is a religion or a religious person who claims to know the same God that we know, but not through Jesus Christ, that is not the same God. The God, the Father of Jesus Christ, bears witness that Jesus is his Son, that Jesus is the only way to him. The fourth witness that, that Jesus calls is the Bible, the Scriptures. If you look at verse 39, it says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Skip down now to, to verse 45. We'll fill back in the other ones in a second. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Keeping in mind, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. He says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. For, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is talking to a people right now who would have said, we love our Bibles. These, this, this group of people that he's, he's talking to, there would have been people standing around who may have literally had the entire Bible memorized, at least the portion of the Bible that they had at that time, which we call the Old Testament. They, they would have been able to tell you not only uh, all about the Bible, about all the authors of the Bible, about all the contents of the Bible. They would have been able to tell you all 613 rules that they had counted up in the first five books of the Bible, in the books of Moses. And not just all 613 commandments that they counted in those first five books. They would have been able to tell you how to keep all of those 613 commandments because of the scriptural, I'm not... I should say, unscriptural tradition that they had received from all of these teachers and rabbis hundreds of years before them, passing down this tradition of man of how to keep the law. These are people who loved their Bibles on some level. 
These are people who obeyed their Bibles on some level. And yet they show clearly that they do not believe their Bibles when the very person that the entire Bible is about is standing in front of them and preaching the word to them, fulfilling the prophecies that they know. And they look at him and say, nah, nah, mm -mm. I can't be it. Jesus says every bit of it has borne witness to him. I want to think about this, just reflect on that for a second. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. I have to say, yeah, that's, you do have eternal life in the scriptures because the scriptures tell how we can have eternal life. And the scriptures tell that we can have eternal life through Jesus. And, and he says here, the scriptures bear witness about me. And remember, he's talking about the Old Testament here. I actually had uh, somebody last week uh, at church asked me, well, what were these people in the book of Acts doing as far as, you know, they didn't have a written Bible at this point, so they didn't have the gospel written down. And that just reminded me so much of Romans chapter 1, where it says that the gospel was preached beforehand through the prophets, this gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying every bit of it from start to finish is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Just to, to reflect on some of the ways the New Testament shows us that it's all about Jesus. There, there are types of Jesus, sort of these, these pictures of things in the Old Testament, things like the temple, the meeting place between God and man, where then Jesus in John chapter 2 says, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And it says he was speaking of the temple of his body, that Jesus himself is now the meeting place between God and man. You've got, you've got, uh, you've got things like the prophets, the priests, the kings. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the prophet who is greater than Jonah, as he said. He is, he is the king who is greater than Solomon. And the king who, King David said uh, that, that this is my Lord, the son of David, who is also the Lord of David. So he is our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. He is the priest who is greater than not just all the other priests, but greater than the temple itself. He says, every time you see a prophet, a priest, or a king in the Old Testament, it's about Jesus. And that's, that's a lot. There's patterns all over the Old Testament. Things like the pattern of the rejection of God's sent messengers that points to the rejection of the ultimate messenger, Jesus. Patterns like exile and return, which points us to the pattern that we need to be saved from slavery to our sins through Jesus. But all of this is just saying every bit of this. Every bit comes to its fruition in Jesus. And Jesus even points out Moses. Moses, the one who gave you all the rules. Well, how do all the rules point to Jesus? How was Moses speaking of Jesus? Well, for one thing, Moses said it directly. He said, God will send you a prophet like me. He was speaking of Jesus, but even throughout all of this, every time Moses wrote down a rule, Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfilled it where we fail. Jesus kept the requirements of the law. When Moses wrote down the curses for disobedience to the law, Jesus is the one who bore the curse on the cross. As the, the law of Moses says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's Jesus. He took the curse for us. When, when Moses talks about the blessings that come for obedience to the law, 
We can't obey enough to get our own blessings, but Jesus did it. And he secured it and he rose from the dead and he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says in Ephesians chapter 1. So yes, every bit of the Old Testament is about Jesus. And it is perfect and it is without error. But I wonder, is it possible to look at the Bible and to like the Bible and to be into the Bible and yet to reject Jesus? And Jesus essentially says, yes, that is possible. Because there were people right in front of him that were doing it. The Bible is completely without error because it's about Jesus. The Bible is, is, is completely life-giving because it is about Jesus. So Jesus is pointing out there is even a way to be so religious that you could impress lots of people with your knowledge about the Bible and be headed straight to hell. Because you reject the one that it was all about, whose name is Jesus Christ. I hope you will be into the Bible, by the way. I hope you will, because it is where we find all of this that points us to Jesus, our great Savior. There is a preacher named Kent Hughes who said that when we look at the Bible and we don't use it to drive us to Jesus, it's kind of like if you went up into a tall tower you know, these, these towers that have observation decks. He, he talked about the Sears Tower, and I, it makes me think about a couple of weeks ago when I, I took my son up into the, uh, um, the One World Observatory uh, down in the Financial District, the, the, the Freedom Tower, as it's called sometimes. Went there for his birthday. And when you get to the top, well, you, you looked out. And, and what if you looked out of that window and you said, that is an amazing window. <laughs> and it is an amazing window, isn't it? Because, it, boy, those are big windows. And how did they get those windows up here? And this window must be really strong because you know that you're going to have millions of tourists coming here every year, and you don't know what they're going to do up here. So those have to be unbreakable windows. Wow, you know, just glory to the window. When the point of the window is to look out and to see that this, this amazing view that you have where you can, you can pretty much see to hear from there. And, and so if we take our Bibles and we say all kinds of things that are true about it, it's without error, it is good, it's amazing, it has lots of prophecies that were fulfilled, that it has to be true. If we say all of those things, but we don't use it to look to the one that it's about to Jesus, then we will not find eternal life in its pages. Its pages point us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why did people reject Jesus? Why did they reject these witnesses? When, when great preachers like John the Baptist and, and when God the Father himself and Jesus' own works and the Bible itself, when everything, and, and these are not the only witnesses to Jesus, by the way. You, you could go on and on, and especially throughout time. I mean, even when Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, the, the earth shook. The rocks were, you remember when Jesus said, if these were silent, the rocks would cry out? The rocks cried out when Jesus was, was crucified. And everything was bearing witness to Jesus. But why is there this rejection of Jesus? And Jesus says, Here, here's a reason. So let's go back and fill in those verses that we, we went past. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Which, by the way, later on, there were these false Christs who just testified to themselves, and these people received them. 
It's amazing. But then he says this, verse 44, this is the key verse I want to point out to you. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What he's saying is in common with all of these ways of doing religion without embracing Jesus is a desire for the glory that comes from man, the glory that comes from each other, rather than the glory that comes from God. You can be religious in such a way that you have everything in line to prove that you are good. Everything in line to prove that you are religious. Everything in line to prove that you are the one who is qualified to be a deacon or whatever else you may want to fill in that blank with. And yet, you may be doing it all because you want to show that you are that religious person. And Jesus would look and he would say to you, don't you understand all these things, all these things that you put on the outside of yourself to try to show that you're religious and you're good, all of those things are to point to the inside of yourself that you need to be born again. You need to look to Jesus. So I'd encourage you today, don't take, don't take all the religion, don't take the fact that you are so religious that you come to church on Saturday don't take that to be a sign that you are right with God. Being right with God, being justified, having your sins forgiven, it does not come through all of these religious things. These religious things point us to the person of Jesus, knowing and having faith in Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. That's how we have eternal life, and everything else flows out of that. Several years ago, the first place, the first church that I served as a minister was a church in Kentucky. I was a youth minister there, and my wife and I knew a very sweet retired lady there. She was widowed. She was young enough to still be very, very active, and we just, we thought she was great, and we enjoyed spending time with her, and she was at church every Sunday and lots of church functions. And a couple years after we moved away, uh, my wife called her just to check and see how she was doing. And she, t she said, I'm doing great. I've been saved. And you know, our first thought was, well, you were saved before. But what she realized one Sunday as she was sitting in church, just as she had lots and lots of Sundays before, and she was hearing the preacher open the Bible and preach the gospel, is she realized that all of these religious things were just on the outside, and that she had never been changed from the inside out, that her faith was not in the person of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to ask you, if, if, if that's you, would you turn? Would you, would you be willing to experience the humiliation of coming into the light and being exposed and in that light, find life in the light of the world, in, in the life giver, Jesus Christ. Instead of trying to pretend to everybody else that you've already got it together, would you find salvation in Jesus? And I, I want to say also, it's possible that even on a Saturday at 5 p.m., there could be somebody who's come in here today who you're not in that situation of being religious. You may even be in a situation where you are openly rebellious against God. And there's good news because the, the way to be saved is exactly the same. 
It is not by doing anything. It is not by getting better. It is by coming to Jesus, turning to him in faith and embracing this Savior who is our judge, but is also the one who gives us the status of not guilty before the Father because he washes us with his blood. Would you turn to him in faith? Let's pray. God, I thank you that Jesus has come for me. I thank you that he has come for sinners. God, I thank you that my relationship with you does not depend on things like how much other people think that I am a great Christian. God, I pray that you would cause me, cause everyone in this room, not to seek the glory that comes from each other, that comes from man, but to seek the glory that comes from God alone, the glory that comes in knowing you through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that if there are any who are listening to this here right now who are in that situation of claiming to be good because of religious things, I pray that they would see what all of those things are pointing to, which is the person of Jesus. And I pray that they'd embrace him and be saved. Father, I pray that you would help us, even as, as Christians who are, are seeking to live out the Christian life, um, to, to resist the temptation to, uh, to simply go about our religion by the flesh, uh, but instead to walk by the Spirit in the knowledge of the Son of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.